Hey everybody, this is Brian Zond and welcome to the Word of Life Church Sermon Podcast. I'm glad you're interested in what we have to say as we try to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you would ever be so inclined to help us financially, you can do that at wolc.com. All right. Praise the Lord. I was telling the team before church, I said, um, isn't it great to belong to a church that you actually like going to? <laughs> I do. I, I just, amen. Amen. Uh, that's what I tell young pastors. Build the church you would go to even if you weren't the pastor. And uh, I, I love this church. And I'm glad to be with you today. And today I want to preach on the fame of Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verse 28. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. All right, so we're at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God. He's gathered his first disciples. And now on a Sabbath, he's teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum, the ruins of which are still there to this day. And Jesus is teaching in a way that causes the people to be amazed. Mark tells us they were amazed because he was teaching them as one who has authority and not as the scribes and Pharisees. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean that Jesus, his delivery was very confident? No, that's not what he's talking about. The scribes would teach, it is written, it is written, it is written, and they're citing the Torah. Jesus is teaching, I say, I say, I say, and it's like, whoa. Who is this guy that he's teaching on his own authority as if, as if he's someone. And you know, people are going to say, who is this guy that teaches out of his own authority? And then suddenly a man with an unclean spirit in church that Sunday, kind of play with it here a little bit, cried out, I know who you are. You're the Holy one of God. What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Well, as a matter of fact, for this purpose was the Son of God made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. And Jesus cast the unclean spirit out of the unfortunate man. And now the congregation is really amazed. He teaches with authority, so much authority that even the unclean spirits obey him. And his fame began to spread throughout Galilee. And then his fame began to spread throughout all of Judea. And then his fame spread throughout all of the Roman Empire. And then his fame spread throughout the whole world, so that Jesus is the most famous person in history. Jesus, 
of Nazareth is the most famous person who's ever lived. And fame is associated with fascination. We're fascinated with famous people. People become famous, you know, actors, entertainers, athletes, that sort of thing. They become famous and then we're fascinated and we, want to, we know this and that about them, but now we want to know more. Well, what do they have for breakfast? We, we want to know. Well, fascination with Jesus is the essential thing. It's been the constant in my life for almost 50 years. I've just, Jesus has never not been fascinating to me. I want to know what he has for breakfast. Well, you can read that in John chapter 21. But anyway, I'm fascinated by Jesus and the fame of Jesus. Wow. Yes, the most famous person who's ever lived, but what is he famous for? Why is Jesus famous? Um, wherein lies the fame of Jesus? Well, Jesus is famous as the Son of God. Mark is the first gospel written. And Mark begins his gospel with the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So, first of all, Jesus is famous as the Son of God. You could say this. Jesus made God, God. <laughs> you say, what do you mean by that? Well, in the time of Jesus, other than in the Jewish world, you didn't speak of God, you spoke of the gods. And, you know, all the peoples had all their different gods. You know, the Egyptians and the Persians and the Romans and the Greeks, and they have their pantheons of hundreds and thousands of gods. But today, when you say God, you don't mean gods, you don't mean Zeus, you don't mean Ra, you don't mean Mazda Erduk or whatever the one the Persians had. When you say God, you mean the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's the accomplishment of Jesus. Jesus made God God. Ha. Jesus put all the other gods out of business. They're all retired now, out of business, in the old folks' home, the old gods' home, wherever they go. They're just banished. And God is God because of Jesus. Jesus does that. He's the Son of God, and he reveals God. No one has ever seen God. The only begotten Son of God who is near the Father's heart, he has made him known. That's why we say God is like Jesus. He's Jesus is the revelation of who God is. Jesus makes God, God. And Jesus is famous as crucified and risen. So, you know, if you, if you don't know anything about Jesus, you well, okay, son of God, and what about it? Well, this is, the, this is the basic bio. On Good Friday, he was crucified. And three days later, he rose from the dead. That's what makes him famous. I mean, he's famous as crucified, but famous as crucified because he was raised. 
If Jesus isn't raised from the dead, he's just one of the nameless thousands of Galileans that the Romans crucified. And you would never have heard of him. He was just another one of the hapless masses crucified by imperial Rome. But no, this one was raised from the dead. And so that's how we know about Jesus. He, Jesus, Jesus is famous as the Son of God, famous as the crucified and risen one. Now, you do have those that are interested in what in, in academia is called the historical Jesus. This is kind of a modern quest, and they're, they're, they're very modern people, and and they said, well, you know, this, this uh, being raised from the dead business. Uh, we, we, are, we are modern people. And so we're not going to believe that. We're, we're just interested in the historical Jesus. You know, the, the, the preacher from Galilee, from Nazareth, who announced the kingdom of God and was crucified. We're not going to talk about resurrection. Just got crucified. That's it. Well, that Jesus is not famous. <laughs> that Jesus is just the pet project of some arcane academics. I'm not talking about the not famous Jesus. I'm preaching today on the famous Jesus. This is the one that is crucified and risen. So in the light of the crucifixion, I mean, in the light of the resurrection, what does the crucifixion mean? Why is it that the Son of God is crucified? In the light of resurrection, what does the cross mean? Somebody ought to write a book on it. And, you know, like the wood between the worlds and have 19 chapters and a poem. I'll leave that to you. Jesus is famous as the friend of sinners. Come on now. Jesus is famous. I mean, if you don't have a friend, you already know Jesus will be your friend. You already know that. He's famous for that. People know that when no one else will forgive you, Jesus will. I mean, he's, just, he's famous for that sort of thing. Um, people know that if the whole world turns away from you in disgust, Jesus will be your friend. Jesus is famous for that kind of thing. And so Jesus shows up in other books, not just the Bible. He shows up in, I mean, it makes the, it's what makes the best part of Fyodor Dostoevsky's crime and punishment. Which, by the way, Really, it could better be translated sin and consequences. It just got, it, you know, Constance Garnett called it crime and punishment and stuck. But think sin and consequences is the name of this book. And it's a story of this young, impoverished university student, Raskolnikov, who uh, thinks that he should be a great man. Like Napoleon, that's what he says. Like Napoleon. And he says, he says, the ordinary rules apply to ordinary people, but not to the great ones. The great ones can do whatever they want and get away with it. And so to kind of prove to himself that he is a great man, 
he robs and murders an old woman, a pawnbroker. But in the process of doing so, he also murders another woman, a younger woman by the name of Lysavita. And um, he hasn't been discovered. Nobody's found out. But now, now the consequences begin to weigh on him. He thought he was a great man and, and, could, and he could do what he wants. But it turns out his guilt is weighing on him. In the course of the book, he, he meets a young woman and they become friends. And this is Sonia. And Sonia has been, well, she was forced into prostitution in order to provide for his siblings. It's a sad story. But she's actually a very a devout believer. And they've become friends. Sonia knows nothing of what Raskolnikov has done. And, but Raskolnikov thinks that he wants to unburden his soul. He wants to confess to somebody. He thinks maybe he could tell Sonia. But then he finds out that Lizaveta, the young woman that he murdered, was a good friend of Sonia's. Oh, yeah. So he doesn't know. But finally, he can't stand it. You know, he just he can't bear this any longer. He has to tell someone, and the only person he can possibly tell is her. And so he goes to her room with the intent of confessing what he's done. Now, I'll say, because this is, you know, very well crafted, it seems as though Sonia may suspect, but she doesn't want to. It's like, you know, I don't want to believe that. I don't, but she may already suspect. And so he's, he's come to her room. There was a book line on the chest of drawers. He had noticed that every time he paced up and down the room, now he took it up and looked at it. It was a New Testament in Russian translation. It was bound in leather, old and worn. Where did you get that? He called to her across the room. It was brought to me, she answered. Who brought it? Lizaveta. I asked for it. He carried the book to the candle and began to turn over the pages. Where's the story of Lazarus, he asked suddenly. Pause. Why does he want to hear the story about Lazarus? Because Lazarus is hopeless. Lazarus is four days dead. There's no hope for Lazarus. That's the story where Skolnikov wants to hear. Where is the raising of Lazarus? Find it for me, Sonia. She stole a glance at him. You're not looking in the right place. It's in the fourth gospel, she whispered sternly without looking at him. Find it and read it to me, he said. He sat down with his elbow on the table, leaned his head on his hand and looked away sullenly, prepared to listen. Sonia still hesitated. What for? You don't believe. Read. I want you to, he persisted. Sonia opened the book and found the place. Her hands were shaking. Her voice failed her. Twice she tried to begin to read and could not bring out the first syllable. Now, now, now a certain man was sick 
named Lazarus of Bethany. And the whole story is there. Dostoevsky puts the whole story from John 11 in, page after page. She's still reading. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. She laid emphasis on the word for. She continues to read. And Jesus cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. She read loudly, cold and trembling with ecstasy, as though she were seeing it before her eyes. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. She could read no more, closed the book and got up from her chair quickly. That's all there is about the raising of Lazarus, she whispered. The candle was flickering out in the battered candlestick dimly lighting up in the poverty-stricken room where the murderer and the harlot had so strangely been reading together the eternal book. He goes on and confesses his terrible crime. Sonia's initial response is, Oh, what have you done to yourself? Very interesting. She persuades him to go to the police and turn himself in. He does. And you can read the rest of it yourself. <laughs> it has a wonderful ending. I'll tell you that. One of, it's been responsible for, for converting more than one reader to faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is famous as the friend of sinners. Somehow Raskolnikov, who's an atheist, a nihilist, he doesn't think anything applies to him. He wants to be a great man like Napoleon and then all he can do is murder two women. And he knows the, the whole world may turn away from him in disgust, but somehow he wants to hear the story about Jesus raising Lazarus because he believes that even hopeless cases have a friend in Jesus. Jesus is famous as a miracle worker I mean, when no one else can help, Jesus can. When no one else can rescue you, Jesus can. And so we're, we're, we're talking about a little bit of literature this morning. We have Fyodor Dostoevsky, Crime and Punishment. I'll tell you about uh, John Fosse. John Fosse is a highly acclaimed Norwegian writer, novelist and playwright. He's my age. He this year was awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature. So when I say he's highly acclaimed, that's as high as it gets. His most recent novel, Septology, is a 667-page single stream of consciousness sentence. <laughs> I loved it. I couldn't put it down. Part of the reason I couldn't put it down is there's no place to stop. It just... <laughs> Somebody asked me, is it hard to find a place? Yeah, you can't find a place to stop. It's, it's, it's just and, I, and, 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 and. I'm not recommending it necessarily unless you're into that kind of thing. 
But I will tell you what the story is about. The story, in fact, though it is a novel, is essentially John Fossey's autobiography. The only difference between, as far as I can tell, between the fictional character, the protagonist in the novel Septology, and John Fossey, the author, is that John Fossey is a writer and the character in the novel is a painter, an artist, a painter. That's the only difference. It's the story. It's the story of an alcoholic atheist who in desperation turns to Jesus. And then the story is really, I can't explain it, I'm not going to try to explain it anyway. It's the story of two lives. The life that he actually found because he put his faith in Christ and the life that he would have had had he not. And of course, this really happened in John Fossey's life. A few years ago, he became a Christian, baptized, believes in Jesus. Jesus is famous for this sort of thing. I mean, John Fossey's, I'm, 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 I'm in bondage to alcohol. I'm going to ruin my life. I'm going to probably just pass out someday in a snowdrift and they'll find me frozen in the morning. That's like from the book. But Jesus is famous as a miracle worker. And when no one else could save him, Jesus saved him. Jesus is famous as the truth. The truth. We all want truth, don't we? Truth. Truth is not a proposition. Truth is a person. Pilate says, what is truth? Truth is standing right there in front of you, Pilate. That's it. Right there's the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And so I mentioned Dostoevsky, mentioned John Fossey, Nobel Prize winner in literature this year. There's Paul Kingsnorth. Paul Kingsnorth, an English writer, also highly acclaimed, a lot of awards, thinker, you know, works mainly through fiction and essays, great writer. And he was an atheist, and then he, then he started exploring various philosophies and even other religions and all religions except Christianity because he was sure that he was done with that living in, you know, post-Christian UK. His wife warned him, said, you keep this up, you're going to end up a Christian. <laughs> and sure enough, about two years ago, he became a Christian, baptized. I mean, his, I read his three I just finished reading his trilogy, Buckmaster trilogy, uh, The Wake, The Beast, Alexandria. And you can, just in the process or exit, yeah, this guy's on his way to becoming a Christian. I can see it happening. Jesus is coming for him like a train smoking down the track because he was looking for truth. That's the thing. He wanted truth. He wanted truth. He kept, he kept looking, looking. Maybe the truth's here. No, it's not there. Maybe it's here. Not there. No, I'm not interested in Christianity. No, I'm not here. I, maybe it's here. It's not here. And I'm not interested in this Christian stuff. Well, maybe, yeah. And he finds the truth. And I tell you, I believe that John Fossey and Paul Kingsnorth, atheists that have become Christians, highly literary, influential, atheists becoming Christians in the last couple of years, that is a hopeful harbinger. 
I'm not saying that they necessarily themselves will have that much influence, although I did hear Kings North. You can find a lot of his YouTube talks that are worth seeing. But uh, he says, he's the reason why I, say, I can't imagine myself writing about anything other than Christianity now. They'll influence some, but more than their direct influence, it's a harbinger. That when people have exhausted all other avenue in pursuit of truth, Jesus is still standing there as the truth. He's famous for this. Jesus is famous as the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the one who commands us to turn our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks. He's famous for this. Gandhi said, everyone knows that Jesus taught nonviolence except Christians. <laughs> Ouch. He's right, though. And I want to say this just sort of as objectively as I can, but seriously. Christian religious leaders who use the name of Jesus to justify wars of aggression are blasphemous liars. That's just me being sober about it. They're blasphemous liars. And I could name names. Well, I might anyway. I mean, I'm thinking at least, I'm thinking of others, but I'm thinking at least of Patriarch Kirill, the head of the Russian Orthodox Church, using the name of Jesus to justify Putin's rapacious war of aggression. Um, and that brings me to another thing Jesus is famous for. Jesus is famous as the judge of the world. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Do you understand this? 2 Corinthians 5.10 if you want the address. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Nobody gets away with anything. Nobody gets away with anything. Nobody. Anything. Ah, they might get away with it here for a little while. Your three score and ten or whatever it is. You may get away with it. But then we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Stand before the one who has the eyes of fire. All things are naked and laid bare before the one to whom we must give an account. Wow. I mean, everybody. Kirill, Putin, Hamas, Netanyahu, me, you. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, can I bring my lawyer? You cannot. It's just you and Jesus. Who is truth. And Jesus simply looks at your life. With eyes of fire. And your life passes through the fire. And we'll find out. What was it? Gold. Silver, precious stone, or wood, hay, stubble. The fire will reveal it all as Jesus looks at it. Jesus is famous. We all know this. Jesus is famous as the judge of the world. I believe in judgment. 
I want there to be judgment. Will I be nervous in my own judgment? Yes, I think so. But, but I, I don't want heinous crimes against humanity to go unjudged. In the end, I don't want the wicked to get away with it. And if the Bible tells us anything, it says they won't. Because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's true. Judgment is real and thorough because God does not traffic in untruths. In the end, there will only be truth. Every lie, burned up, it's gone. In the end, there will only be truth. Judgment is real and thorough because God does not traffic in untruths, but it's not the whole story. Jesus is also famous as the Savior of the world. Mm. Judgment is not the end of the story. Jesus will judge the world, but he will also save the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him might not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus is the savior of the world. Jesus is the one who will bring about the restoration of all things so that in the end, God is all in all. The sole reason that I do not despair over the state of the world is that Jesus is the judge and savior of the world. The world will be judged, the world will be saved because Jesus is the judge and savior of the world. This is the fame of Jesus. This is the fame of Jesus. Jesus is the crucified and risen son of God. The miracle working friend of sinners. The one who is truth and peace. The one who is judge and savior. This is the fame of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Stand up with me. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just take a moment. Just take a moment. Stand here. Close your eyes. Just take a moment. Just stand in, in your own life as it is. With all of your shortcomings, with all of your failures, with all of your fears, with all of your sins, with all that you are. Don't lie to yourself about it. Don't hide it. Just look to Jesus, the crucified and risen Son of God, who is the miracle-working friend of sinners, who himself is truth and peace, who is judge and Savior, and just call upon the name of the Lord and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, rescue me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, deliver me. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved.
Because this is what Jesus is famous for. Somebody ought to say, I know that's so. He saved me. He rescued me. He forgave me. He stuck with me no matter what. He judged me, but he saved me too. Because if he didn't judge me, what kind of salvation would that be? No, he judged me, but he saves me. He's the miracle-working friend of sinners. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Yeah, blessed be the name of the Lord. Ah. All right, let's come to Jesus. Let's come to Jesus by coming to his manifest presence that he's given us. Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood. The cup of blessing which we bless is our participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break is our participation in the body of Christ. So everyone's invited. You'll come. You'll take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup. They'll tell you what it is. It's the body of Christ broken for you. It's the blood of Christ shed for you. You come to Jesus and receive his life, his healing, his mercy, his forgiveness. And we prepare ourselves right now to do that. First of all, we confess our faith. Join with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now join with me in confessing our sins. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little you who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you have failed, come because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Amen.